going? No, man, you got the right classroom. Come on in, take a seat beside me, my friend. Hey, look, here come T.A. Charlie. Let's see what he got to say. Hey, Charlie, real quick, man, we got to get the tortoise to do us one that says, yeah, you got the right church. <laughs> yeah, that'd be fun. Uh, I wonder if he can do a Jamaican holy <laughs> <Yeah>. roller. <laughs> <laughs> that'd be funny. All right, anyhow, sorry. Hanukkah <laughs> uh, Sameach, and hey, it's Worship Wednesday, and this class is dedicated to Clay Tolar. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, morning. <clears throat> You're watching The Road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic. Homeroom is on Rumble. You just go to Rumble and you search the channels for The Road to Concord. It's one word. When you find it, you go ahead and click follow. Not mean you got to set up an account, but it's fast, it's easy, it's free. I did it. You can do it. For those technologically challenged members of the class, you can also catch, the, catch us on Facebook, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube. And you can catch the podcast after the show. It's uploaded to Podbean, iHeartRadio, and Spotify, and hopefully BitChute. Just look for The Road to Concord. You can go to the blog page. That's roadtoconcord.com. That's where you'll find all your show notes, study notes, and handouts for the class. Finally, you can email a professor at joe at theroadtoconcord.com. He's a little slow, but, yeah, he'll eventually get around to emailing you back. Tortoise runs in the family. <laughs> if you find our classes helpful... Please click the thumbs up, like, subscribe, and share it with those you think could benefit from it. Just warn them, Joe, he's a bit different. And you got to get used to him. Hey, we all know T.A. Charlie isn't all there. Not today, man. Now, didn't. just stay seated and give it a chance. You soon realize we not might be the smartest, but we each independently form opinions based on reason and logic. Whoopery thinkers. Yeah, Let's see what the road to Concord with Professor Joe Bakanovic has on the lesson plan for today. Before we get going, if you've ever wondered what Death Warmed Over looks like, it's right there. It's Charlie. He came in as a frozen popsicle this morning. We warmed him up. And now instead of just frozen death, we have Death Warmed Over. He, he's he's barely functioning. And, and you're not doing too good No, yourself, I'm so. not doing too good either. I woke up with a really nasty case of vertigo. My gyros are all off, so, so I have to stay in the extreme vertical. Or for those of you who know anything about flying, I start flying through the soup without my artificial horizon. <laughs> yeah. And that's a good way to become JFK Jr. Um, a bit different, he says. <laughs> yes, the AI is acting up, but tomorrow we have our revenge. We have something planned. Yes, it's just not appropriate for today. All right. Worship Wednesday. I got one for y'all. Charlie will be in the background. If you have questions, feel free to type them up on the comment section. He'll be there to field them. If for whatever reason he doesn't feel like taking a swing at this, whatever pitch you throw at him, he'll hand it off to me and I'll, I'll, I'll take a hack at it. That's about all I can do. I'm not a good batter, so I'll just have to have a hack at it. But I'm going to warn you real quick. This is going to be a tougher class. This is a meat eaters class. It's Worship Wednesday. We're not in Bible basics today. We are swimming in the deep end of the pool without a lifeboat or a life preserver, and there be sea monsters here. Leviathan is running around down there under the under our, our, our feet in the water. And I'm gonna ask you to put your little hand in the air and say, ah, if you get stuck by putting a comment in there for Charlie to catch. So this class is dedicated to Clay Tolar. It's because he asked a question. Gosh, over a month ago now, I think. And I've been running with the answers ever since. 
And man, have they taken me places. So let's get going. Now, word of caution, note, you know, whatever announcement, however you want to put this one. The following teaching represents my personal understanding of these issues at this time. I'm happy to be wrong. All you have to do is show it to me in scripture. I will change my mind real quick and I will thank you for that. I am happy to be corrected or to be dialed in and tuned in when and where you can show me how I've misunderstood the scriptures. I do not want to get God's word wrong. So also all passages in today's show come out of the NASB translation. That's the one, the the translation I use when I'm studying. So here we go. This is about the two trees in the midst of the garden. I bet you wonder what are those two trees? Well, everybody thinks they know. Uh, They're more than what they seem to be on the surface. Why were there two trees in the garden? Why not three? Why not four? Why not five? Well, I got this meme from gotquestions.org. It's a Christian site. We're going to revisit this in just a few minutes. They did a good job with this one. And um, it was up there before I even got to it. It was something I was looking for. There it was, which to me, I thought second witness. But I want to start here first. You have all heard, if you've been in the church any length of time, what the heck, how'd that happen? Woohoo! We've got a problem on the board. Things are not behaving. Those were uncommanded advances on the screen, Charlie. Oh, what happened? I have no idea. I've got it back where I want it, but nobody was touching anything. It just started doing its own thing. Yeah, and I was typing in Rumble, so it shouldn't have been me. Well, we might have an unclean spirit in the house. Maybe the AI is... I may have done that by mistake. I'm sorry. Okay, there's... My apologies. My hand was, I think, on the um, little laptop. Uh See, the AI is not done compiling her reprogramming yet. Yeah, okay. I I take responsibility. I apologize. Okay, that's what happens when you let a cat loose on the electronics board. (laughs) No comment. Okay, we got away with it. All right, folks. I'm sorry. There we go. I knew something was coming. All right. I want to get serious here for a minute. If you've been in the Christian church any length of time, I know you've heard this. We're not under the law. We're under grace. This is where I want to start. Yes, I understand. I am not disagreeing. We are under grace. But I think there is a fundamental misunderstanding of what this means. So let's, you know, we've also seen this. By faith alone, grace by faith alone, faith and faith alone. I agree with that too. Yes. But that does not mean that there's not still a fundamental misunderstanding. So if you've been taught you're not under the law, you're under grace, and it's all by faith alone, when you read this passage in Romans, it reads one way. And I want to read some of this. So there's going to be a lot of scripture today, a lot. It's Romans 4, starting in verse 5, NASB, remember. It says, But the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. What does he mean by work? You're not trying to earn your salvation. You're not doing works. You're not trying to get there by works. So your faith is credited as salvation. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the person whom God credits righteousness apart from his works. Blessed are, and he quotes the Old Testament, he says, blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And Paul says, is the blessing then on the circumcised or the uncircumcised also? 
For we say, faith was accredited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? This is not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. In other words, Abraham was given credit for being righteous before he was circumcised, before he did any act. Paul says, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that the righteousness might be credited to them, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. Now, circumcised, 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 I know that can get you confused real quick. One of these days, we'll come back and we'll look just at that paragraph. What's going on here is Paul saying, you know, you can be credited with righteousness according to Yahweh, to God, without ever having done anything, you know, the thief on the cross. So Paul finishes this section. He says, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Righteousness of faith. Yeah. See, Joe, grace and righteousness. Yeah, I, I got it. Not through the law. I, I understand. We're going to continue. Here's Romans 6, verses 12 through 20. And, and this is just to show you how we normally, we're told to look at these things. See, you, you, don't, have to, you don't need the law. You're not under the law. Here, Romans 6, verse, starting verse 12, Paul says, Therefore, sin is not to reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts and do not go on pretending, uh, presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who are alive from the dead, and your body's, uh, body's parts as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. See? Paul says you're not under the law, you're under grace. So you don't have to worry about the law anymore. This is what a lot of us have been taught. I get it. Paul continues. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Far from it. Do you not know that the one to whom you present yourself as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of that same one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? So he's, you know, we were taught, you know, if you're going to try to keep the law, that's going to be death. Trying to keep the law is going to get you death. So just take that grace and you'll be okay. You're going to live with righteousness. Paul says, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted. And after being freed from sin, you became slaves to righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you present the bodies, uh, parts of your body as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your body parts as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For yet when you were slaves of sin, you were free in relation to righteousness. Okay. A lot of us have been taught over the time that we've been in the pews that passages like this in Romans are telling you the law is dead. I mean, after all, for sin shall not be master over you. You are not under the law, but under grace. Okay. We seem to forget Peter's warning. Paul can be tough to understand. Now, I was reading in my study Bible just this last week. And it is believed by those who study the letters, the New, New Testament, that letter of Peter's is written to a congregation in response to a shortened version of the book of Romans that was being passed around. It's believed that Romans is actually longer than what we have now. We've got Romans 1 through 15 or 14 or 15. 
there are apparently the people who study this that they believe the book of Romans was originally longer. And what we have is that shortened version. And they believe that Peter is responding to Romans when he says, be careful. Paul can be tough to understand. And if you misunderstand him, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble spiritually with your salvation. Okay. I wanted to set this up before we get back to our two trees for a reason. We're going to come back and we're going to, we're going to go through the class. And we're going to come back and we're going to look at these two passages again and see if maybe they don't ring a little differently in our ears. Hopefully, by the time we get there, they will. So, this is all about grace versus works. That's what the two trees are about. I never understood that until Clay Tolar asked me that question. And holy cow, has taken, I chased that rabbit hard all the way from Genesis to the end of Book of Revelation. And it brought a lot of answers along with chasing that rabbit. So thank you, Clay. This is about free will. Those two trees in the garden are all about free will. And this is where I told you the very first, if you go to your homework, roadtoconcord.com, today's show notes, they're not real long. But one of the ones in there is this little piece by gotquestions.org. Why were there two trees in the Garden of Eden? Because Yahweh values our free will. He made us in his likeness. He has free will. We have to have free will. This is well worth a read. I don't normally use um, things from gotquestions.org um, for reasons I don't want to get into today. It's not important. Not today. But this, this is excellent. Whoever wrote this, um, it doesn't have, it's not, there's no accreditation. So I like that too. That's just Yahweh's servants. Whoever wrote this, got it. They understood. And they're right. We, I mean, we are sitting side by side behind the pitcher in, in the ball field. We are on the same row of bleachers. We are side by side with each other on this. So I put that in your homework for you. Very, very well worth your read. Um, highly encourage you to go read it later. So it's about free will. The two trees are life and death. Those are the two choices. Tree of life on the left, tree of knowledge of good and evil on the right here for purposes of our, our class. You know, could have done it the other way around if we'd wanted to. Might have been a little more apropos, but this is the way we're going to do it today. Namely because that's the way my memes worked today. Genesis 2, verses 8 through 9. We've all read this. The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground, the Lord caused every tree to grow that is pleasing to, uh, to, to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, these could very well have been real trees. They may not have been either. This could be figurative language especially since much of Genesis is poetic in nature. Why do I say this? I want to show you as we proceed. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Hebrew idioms. Another quick rabbit. Hebrew figures of speech. One of them. The Hebrew idiom, eat it up. The meaning is to embrace something or to take it and make it your own, especially a teaching or a command. Like Revelation 10.10. 10. I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my and in my mouth, it was sweet as honey. And when I had eaten it, my stomach was bitter. He ate it up. 
John embraced the, you know, the revelation from the scroll and in his mouth, it was sweet, you know, amen, glory be, you know, the, the Messiah has triumphed, but in his stomach, once it had settled, once the thrill of, you know, victory, then he realized bitter, look how, look, look at the cost, look at how many are lost, look what it costs the Messiah, just look at the victory is sweet, the cost was, you know, bitter, sour in his stomach. So that's what eat it up means. This is the Hebrew idiom. So we'll go back to Genesis 2, 16 through 17. The Lord God commanded the man saying, from any tree of the garden, you may freely eat, as in actually eat it for food. But from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For on the day that you eat from it, you will certainly die. This is one of those times when the Hebrew... Well, Joe, does he mean physically eat from a physical tree of life and death, you know, and, and tree of knowledge and tree of life? Maybe. Yes, maybe. Is this also a Hebrew idiom? More than likely, yes. So it's a case of both. All right. Um, that's how you might want to under better understand it. So on the day when you eat up from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die doesn't necessarily mean die right away, at least not physically, but you will die really quick spiritually. And this is part of why we've got to learn to read our scriptures from the Hebrew perspective. We under have, if you read this just from a Greek perspective, you're going to think you're just eating like an apple. But from the Hebrew, there's probably a lot more meant to be in there. And as we go on today, hopefully you'll see why I say this. So Genesis 3, 4 through 6, the serpent said to the woman, you certainly will not die, for God knows that on the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will become like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took some of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, again, could be a very physical tree, but also understand something, some of its fruit, some of its works. If you're thinking this is wisdom and you're going to eat from it, you, you're going to uh, address it. Okay, I grabbed me some wisdom and I gave a little bit. Hey, look what I've figured out, husband. Oh, wow, that's pretty good wisdom too. Let me see if I can think. It, yeah, you start working on things. Of good. This is still within the realm of both in the Hebrew mindset. It does both. It, it, it could be an, uh, an allegory as well as literally what happened, a physical tree. That's well within the physical, the, the Hebrew mindset. There will usually be, for spiritual lessons and things, there will usually be a physical manifestation. Like Jeremiah, when he smashes the clay pot, that was a physical representation of the, the, the kingdom being destroyed. Okay, so you might have a real tree, which is a physical manifestation of a spiritual, spiritual um, knowledge of good and evil. Just expand your brain. It can be both. Don't try to limit yourself. Allow that it can be both. It doesn't have to be one or the other. It could be both. It could be one or the other. It's okay. In the Hebrew mindset, looking at both ways, perfectly acceptable. So now in Genesis 3, verses 22 through 24, then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. So God's telling the, to me, this is the divine counsel. Some people think he's talking to the Trinity. 
I don't know why he would have to talk to himself, but okay. I think he's talking to the divine council, the created spiritual beings around him. This is knowing good and evil. And he says, and now he might reach out with his hand and take fruit also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. That would be a huge problem. And as we go through today, you'll see why it would be a really big problem. So therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out. And at the east of the gate, or east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the, the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Now, here again, you have double entendre more than likely. Cherubim are throne guardians, special, special order of angels. The flaming sword. What is the flaming sword? Mm, well, flame is connected to Yahweh's word. The sword is the word, you know, the sword out of the mouth of Yeshua to guard the way. The way is Yahweh's path, his Torah, his teachings. And it's also the Messiah to the tree of life. Well, Messiah is life, right? It, it, folks, right there, you have an allusion to the new covenant. And they're going to guard the way to the new covenant. It's like Paul says, it's hazy. It's like you're looking at it through the dim glass, but that's an allusion to grace and the tree of life being grace. Well, what would that make the tree of knowledge of good and evil? The law. Grace versus the law. Like what we just started with a minute ago in that meme. Your two trees are grace versus the law. That's, I think, what they represent. Here, let me show you. The tree of knowledge of good and evil is definitely the law. Okay, Romans 7, 7 through 12. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Far from it. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said you shall not covet. But sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came to life and I died. And this commandment, which was to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Now, I've been reading several books lately that tell me the law is death results in death, it's, it's, it's not meant for good, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they're quoting the book of Romans. Well, they do not ever address the, the books I'm reading. Several of them all have the same argument. They never address this passage. So Paul says, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. Sin, good and evil. What is righteousness? What is not righteousness? What is lawful? What is lawless? That's the knowledge of good and evil. So said, for I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. So the moment that you were told, thou shalt not covet, you started to covet. Well, that's covet knowledge. Hey, Eve, the law says you shall not covet knowledge because then you'll become just like God. And off she goes. Oh, well, I want some of that. Here, Adam, have some of this too. You want some too. It, it, coveting, you want what God has the exact same, basically, sin that Satan did, want to become like God. 
Satan, you know, the devil, same sin, wanting to be like God, wanting to do it your way, putting yourself first, works. You are going to make yourself like God. You're going to make yourself equal to God. This is what the, you know, people look at the law and they say, well, that's what you're trying to do. If you're trying to do that, then yes, the law is death, but not necessarily. We keep reading Paul. He said, but, but sin taking an opportunity through the commandment produced in me coveting of every kind for apart from the law, sin is dead. What does he mean by that? Before Adam and Eve ate of that tree, they were apart from the law. They were neither under grace nor the law. They weren't under the law yet. The law hadn't entered into the world. Sin was in the world, but the law hadn't entered into the world. So I was once alive apart from the law. But when the commandment came, sin came to life and I died. As soon as I knew right from wrong, I went astray. So this is talking about the age of moral accountability. And this commandment, which was to result in life, the commandment was supposed to bring life. No, Joe, the commandment brings death. Haven't you heard your preacher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going with Paul. The commandment was to result, was meant to result in life, but proved to result in death for me. Why? Because I didn't obey it. Well, the law can't bring life, Joe. Mm, There's the key to this whole conversation today. Stick with me. He says, for sin, taking an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. Sin here is disobedience, lawlessness, which is the result of our free will. Because we put ourselves over God. So then, the law is holy. Paul is not condemning the law. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. And that is not what these three authors I've been reading lately tell me. They say, no, the law is condemnation. It's bad. It's evil. It's wicked. It results in death. No, it doesn't. The law does not. Paul just told you that. What Paul says results in death is sin. Sin is disobedience. You would not know what disobedience is without the law. So this is where we have got to start paying attention to the scriptures And maybe test what our pastors tell us against the scriptures, because I know they've got the seminary school under their belt. Well, you need to have the scriptures under yours. Back to Romans 5, starting in verse 12. It says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because all sinned, For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not counted against anyone where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. Okay, let's expand on this just a little bit. What is Paul talking about? Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, Okay, Paul tells you next, sin existed, but it wasn't in the world. Why? Death came through sin, into the world through sin, and so death spread to all mankind because of all sin. Until the law, for until the law, until the law came, sin was in the world. So disobedience existed, 
Adam and Eve didn't know the difference, didn't know if it was good or bad, didn't matter. They didn't know. When they ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, now they know, and now they're held accountable to it. But sin is not counted against anyone when there is no law. Well, the law is now in the world. How do we know? Because Paul just said sin is now in the world. And you don't know what sin is without the law. So if sin is in the world now, and you know it, as soon as you're morally accountable, you know the law, you're accountable to it. Do you understand how much this resolves for us? Like, well, what about the person who's mentally handicapped, Joe? They cannot understand it's right or wrong. They're not of a, a age of moral competency, moral majority. They, they're not of moral accountability. So it's not going to be accounted again. It's not going to be counted against them. But once you get to the point where you can or should know right from wrong, then the law applies to you. This is what Paul's telling us. This does not mean that the law is gone. This does not mean the law is dead. Oh, quite the contrary. He's already told us that. And sin enters in because of one act of Adam, not Eve, Adam, because he wanted to eat of the tree of knowledge. And once that happened, all men now are moral agents. And if you're a moral agent, you're accountable to the laws of God, whether you're under grace or under the law. No, Joe, I'm not. A, yes, you are. Stick with the class. Stick with me to the end today. I'll show you. It's in your scriptures. It's actually in the last passages we've been reading. You've got to learn to understand that Paul is a Torah observant Hebrew. So the tree of knowledge of good and evil is Torah. But the tree of life is Torah. What? No, no, no. Tree of life. You just said it was grace, Joe. Grace is Torah. What? Yeah, Torah is not the law, folks. The law is Torah, but Torah is not just the law. This is one of the things we have to understand, and this is where we're going we're gonna to grab a little help from Frog Voice over there as soon as he gets done drinking, turns on his mic. We've taught this before. I want to just real quick, again, Charlie, Torah is bigger than just the law of Moses, isn't it? Oh, well, yeah. <clears throat> the Hebrew understanding of Torah is? It's instruction or teaching. And it, it's throughout the entire Bible. <clears throat> yeah, it's not just the law of Moses. No. So we have to pay real close attention to the context of what we're, because the law of Moses is part of the greater Torah, yes? It's part of it, yes. Yeah. And the law of Moses, would you disagree with me here? The law of Moses depends on the greater part of Torah. Yes, yes. Without the whole of Torah, the law of Moses falls. Right, yes. That's true. So even if the prophet is talking about the law of Moses, he's also depending on the greater Torah behind it. Yes. Okay. Thank you, Charlie. We asked Charlie for help with this because Charlie reads and studies biblical Hebrew. Okay. And he's got a, his teacher is in Israel and she teaches him from what he says rather strictly. So, and that's probably a drill pretty, sergeant. Yeah. It's probably a pretty good thing because he's hard headed. All right. Tree of life is Torah. No, it isn't. Well, let, 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 let's, let's just test this. Deuteronomy 4.1. Now, Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I am teaching you to perform so that you will live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. Say, Joe, that's for Israel. Yes, this is not a nation yet. This is a people group. And what does Israel mean? 
It means those who strive with Elohim, with God, those who wrestle with God. Well, Joe, this is physical Israel. Is it? Part of the mixed multitude is still with them. Are those Hebrews? Are those Jews? They're not Jews. There's no. There's only one tribe of Jew, Judah right, right now. And, and Jew, the word Jew has not even entered into the Bible at this point. Did you realize that physical Israel is part of spiritual Israel? There's no replacement theology here. Yahweh's kingdom has always been spiritual. It has not, it, well, after the fall, it has not returned to earth yet. It will, but it's still in heaven. It's in the spirit realm. So if you're, if you're grafted in, you're part of Israel, whether you're part of physical Israel or not, you're still part of Israel. You're part of the spiritual realm. You know, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So if you're in his kingdom, you're not of this world. Well, it, it was the same way here in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 8, all the commandments that I am commanding you today, you shall be careful to do so that you may live and increase and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord swore to give to your forefathers so that you may live. Obedience will see to live. Proverbs 4.4. 4. He taught me and said to me, let your heart take hold of my words, keep my commandments, and live. Proverbs 7.2, keep my commandments and live in my teaching as the apple of your eye. Keep my commandments. Keep my commandments. Matthew 19.17, and he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. So what these authors that I've been reading have been saying is those are Jesus' commandments, not Yahweh's. Well, Jesus is Yahweh, okay, in the flesh. Jesus is the living Torah, the living teachings, the living word of God. And if you'll go, this is, um, I'm sharing the screen right now. If you'll go and you'll look in your scriptures, what you're going to find is the scriptures tell you over and over again that God doesn't change. You know, God will hear and answer them, even though one sits enthroned from the old Shalah, with whom there is no uh, change, and who who do not fear God. This is Psalm fifty five nineteen. This is um, Malachi three six. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Hebrews thirteen eight. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. If I go to uh, Numbers twenty three nineteen. God is not a man that he would lie, nor a son of man that he would change his mind. He has uh, said, and he uh, has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make good? What? God doesn't change. His Torah is not going to change, folks. It's the same yesterday as it is today. This is what Jesus is telling us. Keep his commands. Keep the Father's commands. How do we know that? Well, there's another passage where Jesus said, who are my brothers and sisters? Those who keep my Father's commandments. So Jesus says, I only testify what the Father told me to say. So what For these authors that I've been reading, even if you're supposed to follow the commandments of Jesus, they are the commandments of the Father. And the Father says, I'm not going to change. So the Torah, the teachings, the word of Yahweh has not changed under the new covenant. It's the same. This is still the tree of grace. This is the tree of life. It is. It's all a relational thing that most of us have missed. It's in your scriptures. It's right there. It's all law versus grace. 
This is another one I got from gotquestions.org. Why is there so much conflict among Christians on this issue? Oh, boy. If you're studying with me, and most of you here are, if you're studying your scriptures, this is a mandatory assignment. You must read this sometime between now and next Wednesday. Go to your homework. Get the link. Law vs. Grace. Why is there so much conflict among Christians on this issue? This is brilliant. Which leads to the question. Whoever wrote this in this organization, if they understand this, why are they still teaching what they're teaching? Because this is perfectly in line with my understanding, but this is not in line with what comes from the pulpits in most Christian churches every day. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. It says, we are saved by grace through faith. Yes, the keeping of the law cannot save anyone. True. In fact, those who claim righteousness on the basis of their keeping of the law only are thinking that they're keeping the law. This is one of Jesus' main points in the Sermon on the Mount. Yes, that's true. And again in Luke, the purpose of the law was basically to bring us to Christ, which is grace. Once we are saved, God desires to glorify himself through our good works. Therefore, good works follow salvation. They do not precede it. But the works are your obedience, and the scripture says that. Conflict between grace and the law can arise when someone, one, misunderstands the purpose of the law, which was to drive you to back to the tree of life and away from your own, your own effort. Do not rely on your own understanding, but on God's, because yours is wrong. Two, redefines grace as something other than God's benevolence on the undeserving. Romans 11.6, and then three, tries to earn his own salvation or supplement Christ's sacrifice. Four, follows the error of the Pharisees in taking man-made rituals and traditions unto his doctrine. Or five, fails to focus on the whole counsel of God, which is the entire Bible. When the Holy Spirit guides our search of scriptures, we can study to show ourselves approved unto God, 2 Timothy 2.15, and discover the beauty of grace that produces good works. Good works. Grace will produce good works. Works is obedience, folks. Good works is obedience. We just saw that. Jesus was saying, you, you can't do anything good unless you follow the commandments. What does he tell the, the rich young ruler? He says, Master, what do I got to do to have eternal life? He says, follow the commandments. He says, I've done all of them. Jesus turns around and says, there's one more you're lacking. It, it, go sell everything. You're greedy. You know, you're, you're, you're relying on your material wealth. And that saddens the rich young man, the ruler, because he thought he'd earned his way. And Jesus is saying, nope. You got to keep obeying the commandments. Now, some people will read that and say, see, what that means is the ruler, the rich young ruler couldn't earn his way into heaven. Works won't do it. That's not what Jesus told him. Jesus said, you lack something. Fix it. And he didn't tell him he wasn't saved. I don't know what happened there, but we read things in there that we sh not necessarily should. Because if the rich young ruler did what Jesus said, Jesus said then he wouldn't be lacking anything else, would he? There was a heart issue there, not an action issue. There was a heart issue. That's the key to this whole question today. So the tree of life grace, the tree of knowledge, the law, knowledge of good and evil. Remember, Paul says, you don't know what that is without the law. 
So the tree of knowledge of good and evil is the law. But the tree of life requires the law too, because the tree of life, grace, is also righteousness. And that you you need the law to understand what righteousness is. So let's go to Paul again. Romans 7, 14 through 25. For we know that the law is spiritual. What? The law is spiritual? I thought the law was just, you know, carnal for the flesh, for, for just physical Israel. No, 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 no. The law is spiritual. And where is the kingdom? Yeshua, Jesus' kingdom is spiritual. So the law goes to the, that's the constitution of his kingdom. The law is spiritual. The kingdom is spiritual. Okay, got it. He says, but I am fleshly. Yes, you're material. Okay. This is why Gnosticism is such a threat. Gnosticism thinks that there are two different things. The spiritual and the flesh should be separated. Everything good is spirit. Everything flesh is bad. That's not what scripture says. So be careful with that Gnostic thinking. That's Greek thinking. You are one entity. Body, mind, and soul is all one entity. So you're sold into bondage to sin. That's because the law has come. So sin is in the world now because we know the difference between right and wrong. And our flesh is going to always seek the wrong. It says, for I do not understand what I am doing. For I am not practicing what I want to do, but I do the very thing I hate. Okay. He doesn't understand why that's happening. He wants to obey the law, which would be grace. You know, even, even still, even if you're just looking at the law, we've already read passages where law is life, Torah is life, but he's not doing it. He says, however, if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law that the law is good. What? So if he sins, he still agrees the law is good. He says, yep, I sinned. He recognizes it. The law is good because it tells him what he's doing wrong. It's a guide. It's a teacher. It teaches him right from wrong. Oh, no, Joe, the law was a teacher just until Jesus came. Jesus is the living embodiment of the law. So you had the law on stones. Now the law comes in the flesh to show you. The law on stones told you how to live it. The law in the flesh showed you how to live it. And now Yeshua, the living embodiment of the law, dwells in the heart of every believer. So the heart, the law is now flesh in the heart. It, it's just a heart thing, folks. And in this case, Charlie, we, we're, we're going to need your help here. What do we mean by heart in the Hebrew mindset? Are, are we talking about my feelings and my emotions? Um, no, it would be more your intellectual and kind of your kind of your soul even i mean it's it's kind of also like your that, will right kind of like that eat eat things up it, it's inside you it's, mm-hmm. it's becomes part of you but it's got a lot to do with your conscious decisions and will oh yes it? yes okay well the conscious decisions what what you know back to our will doesn't that take us back to where we started free will yeah yes so you had two trees in the garden you're either going to do it your way or yahweh's way Right. Yahweh's is grace. Your way, you got to try and earn yourself there. Yeah. It's the same law, too. And Yeshua said, he's, they, I mean, Yahweh says, man has become like us. He knows good and evil. It's the same law. Mm. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. And Yahweh's and all the spirit beings are under that law. Mm -hmm. Yes. 
Which is why Satan had to be condemned because he broke it. Yeah, we could go into a whole. Yes, we could really <laughs> dig on this. Thank you, brother. Appreciate that. So we're going to get back to Paul, Paul here. We, we've got to understand what's going on here, folks. We've got to pay attention to what Paul's actually saying as a Torah observant Hebrew. Okay, so the law is good. Now we're going to, we're Romans 7. We're going to pick back up in verse 17. Paul says, but now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. So this is, this is a disobedience dwells in him, the fleshly side of him. Now what he's saying is I'm born from above. I'm now spiritual. I've been reborn. I'm under grace. I belong to the spirit realm and the law is spiritual, but it's the sin here in the, it's almost like there's two different things going on, but he knows better. He's, he's not preaching Gnosticism. He says, so for, I know that good does not dwell in me. That is in my flesh for the willing is present in me. The spirit is willing but the flesh is weak, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not want. But if I do the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but the sin that dwells in me. In other words, he's no longer condemned for it. He is still accountable for his actions. He's telling you, I can still sin. My flesh is still my flesh. He's calling it my body. I can still sin but he's not going to be held accountable for this because he's under grace. But it continues in verse 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me. The one who wants to do good wants to do good, but evil's in him. See, he needs the law or he wouldn't know the difference between good and evil. For I joyfully agree with the law of God in the inner person. His mind has agreed with the law of God. He's born again. I choose Yahweh in his ways, his law. His law is spiritual. His law is good. I agree with it. He says, but I see a different law in the parts of my body waging war against the law of my mind, his heart. So the flesh, the animal instinct in him is at war with his mind, his decision, what he wants to do, his will. And it makes me a prisoner of the law of sin, the law which is in my body parts. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin, the law of sin and death requires death. So your body will die. But if he's serving the law of God, yet may his spirit live and his body will eventually be resurrected as well. But this is what he's talking about. This is life. His spirit will live. The law is spiritual. And he means the law, nomos, same law of Moses. Law is life. Well, if this is life and that's the law of God and that's what's going to make his spirit live, how the heck can it be done away with? Unless, of course, we've misunderstood something, which is what I contend we have. We're still dealing with the two trees, folks. The key is in understanding the relationship between grace and works. That's the key. It's a relationship. Everything in the scriptures is a relationship. The tree of life, grace, the undeserved gift, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, works, both have Torah at their roots. God's laws. It's the relationship for how they work. How does Torah apply to those of us under grace? How does Torah apply to those of us under works? This is where I'm going to step out and hope that Charlie can talk to us for a few minutes because he's got a brilliant way of explaining this. Charlie, you know, the, the father image where the law is necessary, you know, and, and like for the law is not needed for those who 
you, you know where I'm at right now. Right, right, yeah. Would you please explain to the class where your thinking on this is and yeah. how it works in your head? Because you you do this better than I do. My definition of Torah. Yes. <laughs> but I had a firefly go off, so I'm going to add to it, and I'll see how you like it. All right, go for it. But, Quick uh, rabbit time. The, the way I look at the Torah now is it's it's kind of twofold. If you are trying to do things your own way, it is the law, and it comes with, you know, everything that comes with the law. But if you are in the kingdom, you're trying to do um, what the Father wants you to do, then it's grace because it's, you know, you're, you're trying to listen to Daddy, and you screw up, and you go to Daddy. <coughs> sorry. You go to Daddy, and you say, ah, I screwed up. And he says, okay, get back on the path. And, you know, that's where grace comes in. But, you know, I was thinking about it as you were covering this, and there's another symbol that kind of goes with this, and we were talking about this the other day, and I think it applies. The, the law, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, is the curses. Mm -hmm. The tree of life are the blessings. Yes. So you can further bring that analogy to, you know, yeah, even though you might screw up, you know, you, you, you see in the scriptures many times, um, Jonah and Nineveh is a great example. Mm -hmm. There was a curse upon Nineveh, mm -hmm. and they were screwing up. Jonah went there and said, you guys are screwing up. Repent. And he expected them to be destroyed. In fact, he was actually upset that they weren't. That's because Nineveh is the, the, but, that's the capital of uh, Assyria, which is yes, an enemy of Israel. Right. But they repented mm -hmm. and lifted the curse, mm -hmm. and they received the blessing. So that's where grace comes in. Because we can we can actually get the curses lifted if we turn obey. to Yahweh and obey. It's a, it's a heart thing. You got to turn your heart. If you turn your heart, it's all about why you you're doing stay what on you're the doing. path. Yes, it, it it's yeah exactly. So if you're disobedient, we need a law because that's yes. how we punish you. But if you're not disobedient, yes. there's no need for a law because that's that that's what it is. It, if if you're not going to follow the law and you're going to do it your own way. The law is there to execute the punishments for your, you know, disobedience. But now how can we know whether or not we're doing right or wrong without the law? You can't. So the law is the root of both trees. Yes. Oh, yes, it yep. is. And this is when Israel came into the land, what Charlie was talking to me about the other day, where they on two different mountains shouting the blessings and the yes, perfect yes. curses back and forth right. at each other. And That's what this is about. And the other beautiful thing I was thinking about earlier as you were covering this when you were talking about Yahweh does not change, how wonderful is that? Because if you look at all the other gods that, you know, were throughout the scriptures, they were so fickle, they would change everything every every time they turned around. But here we have the universal law, mm -hmm. but you also That even have, applies to Yahweh and the angels. Right, but you, you have the grace that goes with, what a beautiful and perfect plan that is put there and and you know you can rely on it mm -hmm. you know that's the whole part of that's trusting faith yes 
Yes. Right. And notice that the other part of that passage, you know, I am not like man or the son of man or whatever, that I I do not change my mind. And this is why Jacob is not destroyed. Because if he changed his mind and got angry one day, all of God, and that Jacob is all of Yahweh's people, all the promise would just be wiped off the face of the earth. Right. So he's sticking with the plan he made before the foundations of the earth. Yeah. That's the Messiah slain from the foundations of the earth. He was going to give grace from the beginning. Yes. Beautiful. Yep. And it is the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Yep. This is why, thanks, Charlie. This is why I think that although they might have been real trees, yes, there's also a strong metaphor in there. All right. So there's our trees. The practice of righteousness. Oh, this is where it all starts coming together. Okay. Romans 2.13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. It says nomos, law. You can put in there law of Moses or Torah, whichever way you want to go. Romans 4, verses 2 through 4. And this is the same Romans that my Christian authors are telling me. It's the same Paul said the law is done away with now. Well, that's not what Paul just said. So Romans 4, verse 2 through 4. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, the wages are not credited as favor, but as what is due. Well, well wait a minute, Joe. Paul just said it's the doers of the law who are justified. But here it, it's credited to him as, as righteousness because he had faith. He believed. What are you doing, Joe? How can, how how's this work? See, Paul says we don't have to worry about the law. No, he didn't. This is an apparent contradiction, right? Well, okay. So is this a paradox or is this an actual contradiction? Well, this is just because we're not understanding what Paul's saying. Hello, Peter. Paul's difficult. If you're not looking at this as a Torah observant Hebrew, and in this case, don't think obedient to the law of Moses, Torah observant, aware of, think observe, like observation of the teachings of Yahweh. In other words, this is somebody who's aware of the whole counsel of God. That's what Paul is. How do we know? Well, let's get a second witness, James 122, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not just hearers who deceive themselves. Whoopsie. Who exactly is James? Oh yeah, that's right. That's Jesus's brother, right? And even if not, he's one of the apostles. So he's telling you, do the word, which is what Romans 2.13 just said. So what does Romans 4.24 mean? For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credit to him as righteousness. This is where we definitely need to pick on poor Charlie one more time. Charlie, the Hebrew concept of trust and belief. Yes. Did the Hebrews have any understanding of belief without action? No. So they're one and the same thing. If you trust, if you believe in Yahweh, you act accordingly, right? Yes. Yes. That's... Which in our Greek mindset, faith and obedience are two different things. Yeah, that's one of the differences that you'll find in Hebrew. Hebrew is an active language. The, all the verbs show action. I mean, there are some stative verbs in, in uh, Hebrew, but even those there is still the essence of action. 
So the um, key is that to so, the Hebrew, yes. faith and trust are not something you have. It's something you do. Oh, yes. and They're verbs. Yes. And it, it's, it, uh, yeah. Big difference, it, folks. Yeah, there's a lot going on in my head right now, but we ain't got time to cover it. Well, I'll tell you what. If you, you, you can have the last five minutes, then we'll go to break and we'll come back and pick up where I left off. You know, you whatever time. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, you, you don't have to give us a big exposition on this, but this is one that we have got to beat into the body of the believers that the Greek mindset does not capture this concept of faith in the Hebrew way. Yes. Well, I'll let you expand on that. Well, time and time again, you will find, especially in the Old Testament, where it says that Yahweh is grace and truth. In the Hebrew, that's chesed and met. And <clears throat> hesed is, uh, that is more than just grace. It is um, the total character and essence of Yahweh. It, it encompasses his, his love for us, his care for us, and, you know, just the... the Everything that he's done for us to agape. put this in, yeah, agape would be a good Greek synonym, although it, that even, doesn't even yeah, still totally, short. totally get it. But truth, what is truth? Oh, somebody asked that question, didn't they? Well, <laughs> truth is Torah. And so when he is, you know, chesed and amet, or grace and truth, that means his love is the Torah and that's why he gave it to us so that, you know, we could gain that obedience so that we could receive those blessings and avoid the curses. If we're, if we're doing it right, if we're bending our knee and acknowledging him as his daddy and saying, you know, daddy, I know I'm going to screw up, but I'm going to do the best I can to stay on this path. And, and I'll tell you right now, the prayer I pray nearly daily is Yahweh, if I'm screwing up, smack me upside the head and show me how to get back on the path. Because that's that's the attitude we have to have so that, you know, yeah, we're going to screw up, we're going to get off the path. But if we're praying that prayer, you know, I believe that Yahweh will answer that. You know, if you, if you ask, he's going to give it to you. And, I mean, that that's the essence of this. And so it it kind of shows, you know, again, you know, we've got a God that doesn't change. He set all this up in a, in a beautiful way to show his love for us. And he's given us this ability to choose. He's not forcing us to do this. And he's asking us, what are you going to do? Are Free you will, going which to one you choose? follow me or are you going to be under the law? So when he puts his law in our heart and we cry out, Abba, Father, what he's doing is bringing our will into alignment with his, in yes. which case we will never sin again. Yes. Because we don't want to. The greatest gift he gave us is our free will, our agency to choose. And the greatest gift we can give back, in fact, the only gift we can give back to Yahweh is to align our will with his. Which didn't do away with the law. No, what set us no. free was that Yeshua took us, his sacrifice took us back out from underneath our own hand at trying to save ourselves and placed us back under the tree of life of grace. Right. Yes. That's all that happened. The law still stands. 
Just like Yeshua said it would. Okay. Thank you, Charlie. We'll do the break. If Charlie's feeling good enough, he can dance around for a little bit. I can see the circle's going to be just a little slower today. And then when we come back in six minutes, we will pick up because we're not quite done yet. It gets better. Um, We'll tie it all together in a nice, neat little ribbon and bow for you. See you in six.
neither Charlie or I were dancing around too much. Charlie's not feeling it, and if I bob my head too much, my gyros just go tilt. So <laughs> try to keep everything still today. All right, let's get back where we were. We'll review this one here again real quick. The one in the middle, Romans 4, 2 through 4. For if Abraham was justified by works, in other words, he's not, he has something to boast about. In other words, you know, hey, 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 look what I did, but not before God. So he can't boast before God because you you can't, you're not God. You're not going to be equal with him. So Paul says, for what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, the wages are not credited as favor, but as what is due. So in other words, this was, it was given to him as righteousness, grace. Grace was extended to him as righteousness. Righteousness. What the heck is righteousness in the scripture? That's where we're going to go next. This is where it starts to come into line. This is where the two trees, works versus faith, in grace and all this stuff, this is where it starts coming into line. The law, all of this, if you pay attention to righteousness. Matthew 5, 6. This is Jesus talking. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Matthew 5, 10. Jesus again. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 6, 33. Jesus again. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided to you. Don't seek your individual salvation first. Seek his kingdom and his righteousness first. His righteousness? What exactly is righteousness? Well, first things first, a Hebrew idiom in the Bible. Okay. What does it mean to abide in me? That means to live in him. To to dwell. And I don't mean just... Everything you do, your way of life, the way you think, the way you act, what you believe, that type of light. In other words, live the way. This is the way. That's abide in me. And who is Yeshua? The living embodiment of the word, the living word. So in other words, this is another way of saying live in the word. Okay, we've all heard that in the pulpits before, right? Live in the word. Okay, cool. How does he explain this? John 15, verses 1 through 8. Jesus is the vine. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. I am the Word. My Father is the one who gave the Word. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Those who do not obey my Father will be cast away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. For everybody who abides in me, follows me, obeys me, you know, the Word, my Word, the Father will sanctify you and perfect you and bring you more forward more and more so that you produce even more fruit. He says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. You're already under grace. Okay. Remain in me and I in you. I am the living body embodiment of the word. So remain in the word and the word will live in your heart. I am the law. Remain in the law and the law will dwell in you, in your heart. Teaching, Torah. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, but must remain in the vine, none of us are good, so we can't do anything good without the Father and the Word helping us. So neither can you unless you remain in me. So if you don't keep to the, you know, if you go by your own understanding and try to do it on your own, you can't do anything good. This is a flashback. Fireflies here. When 
Abraham, right? Hey, I'm going to get you a son. Well, Yahweh tarries. Let's let's go ahead and you know obey my wife, and I'll, I'll take her handmaid to make a son. Tried to do it his way. Nope, that didn't work. And then we see that again with uh, uh, Jacob and his wives. And, and we see this all the time where man tries to do it himself. Doesn't work. You have to trust God and let him do it his way. So Jesus says again in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. I'm the root. I am the Torah. There's our two trees. There's our trees. I'm the Torah. I'm the roots. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. So if your tree feeds from the Torah, from the teachings, you'll bear much fruit because you're in it. You're in the teachings and the teachings are in your heart. For apart from me, you can do nothing, nothing good, only wicked, good and evil. How do you know what's good and evil? Torah, apart from the Torah, the living word of God, apart from that, you can't do anything good. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown away like like a branch and dries up. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you don't remain in the living word, this is not just because he's a man. This is also who he is. Remember the scripture, John clearly tells us this man we call Jesus is also, he's Yahweh in the flesh. He's also the word of Yahweh in the flesh. How that works, don't ask me. But the scripture is very clear and forceful on that. And Jesus says it. So he says in verse seven, John 15, verse seven, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Here's where a lot of Christians get it wrong, and this is to the detriment of their faith. They think you can ask whatever you want in the name of Jesus. That is not what he just said. If you ask in accordance with the will of the Father and the Spirit, the the word of the Father, that will be done for you because you will never ask for anything that does not glorify the Father and the Son. And he says, my Father is glorified by this that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Who are those who are his disciples? Those who obey him and the Father. Obedience is a part of this. It's why you obey that is everything. If he's in your heart, you obey because you want to. Your will has aligned with his. You moved your will into alignment with his. And that's that's love. That's biblical love of the Father and the Son. Well, if the law has been done away, as we're told, if the law, you're no longer under the law, you're no longer under the curse of death, but the law remains. If it's done away, you can't do any of this. You can't abide in him because you don't know what it means to do right and wrong. You don't know what a commandment is. Paul has already told us in the book of Romans, without the law, we don't know right from wrong. We don't know what a sin is. We don't know what a sin isn't. Without the law, we don't know how to repent. We don't know the way. You know what? He's the living embodiment of the Torah. Well, if you do away with him, you know who you've thrown away? You've thrown away the Messiah. The whole Torah, the whole council of Yahweh, Genesis to the end of Revelation, the whole council teaches grace from front to back. The Old Testament teaches grace through faith. It does. It's nothing new. Well, Joe, grace came with the Messiah. Yes, the covenant. The covenant of the law of obedience was through Moses. The covenant of grace came through the Messiah. The covenant of the knowledge of good and evil came through Moses. The covenant of the tree of life comes through Messiah. 
two different covenants, same law, same roots. One of them you obey because you want to, not because it gets you. It's gratitude. It's obedience to your father. It's the love for the father and the son. The other one, you're trying to do it yourself. Look what I've done. Look who I am. I'm going to ascend on high and make myself like God. You think you're earning something. Well, even in the Old Testament, you were not saved by obedience to the law. You were saved by trust in Yahweh that he would do it. You were The law was meant to teach you you can't keep the law. The law was meant to teach you about that war Paul's talking about between what you want to do and what your flesh makes you do. It was meant to teach you that you are hopeless. Your will will not succeed. You must trust in the Father and his Messiah. That is the only hope you have. That's the teacher. And also to tell you what good and evil are. This is not how we understand that in the bulk of the church today, but this is what's right there in our scriptures. So again, what is righteousness? According to the scripture, what is righteousness? This is from the Encyclopedia of the Bible, the definition of righteousness. This is in your homeworks. You can find this linked. I don't care about this first part. That's not where I want to sit. This is right here. Righteousness in the Old Testament. Among the uses just suggested, the biblical approach preeminently concerns itself with the man whose way of thinking, feeling, and acting is wholly conformed to the righteousness of God. Okay, well, that's the righteous life, but what is righteousness? Well, there's your answer. Psalm 119, verse 172. Let my tongue sing about your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Let interpret interprets uh, scripture interpret scripture, correct? So scripture defines scripture, right? So all your commandments are righteousness. And one of those commandments is by grace through faith. Yahweh says that I will save you by my grace through your faith in me, trusting faith. That's from Old Testament to New. Abraham, it was accounted as as you know, righteousness to Abraham that he obeyed. He believed God, but he also obeyed. Ray 13t in Hebrews, teachings are not either or, but and. Teachings have four ways of looking at it. Uh, the Peshat, a literal interpretation, Remez, an illusion, Darush, an inference, and Suda, a secret. And that's how the Hebrew mindset works. And this is what Ray's telling us. Ray is another one of your classmates who's a student of the Hebrew language. Yeah, and this is uh, <laughs> this is why Hebrew is so fun. Because, you know, uh, Hebrew words and stuff many times have many different meanings depending on the context. And they can't be uh, translated into English because a lot of times it's all of them at once. Yes, yes, because sometimes that's that's the issue too. So, And that doesn't translate well. <laughs> that doesn't mean that you can't understand it in English. It doesn't. It just means that certain more flavorful, more spicy aspects of scripture. This is what I tell you. If you learn it and read it in Hebrew, all that's going to do is bring out the full flavor of God's word, but you can still get the meat and potatoes in a good English translation. And then you can start adding steak sauce or salt and pepper. If you're studying with a teacher that's done the hard work, this is one of the reasons that I don't have time to read Hebrew, but I know Ray 13 and I know Charlie and I'll stick tight to them because they've done the work. And this is the father equipping the body. I don't have time to learn the Hebrew. I'm in things that 
those two gentlemen don't always have time to under to but the three of us together steel sharpen steel and we're an effective teaching team yahweh put the body together to do his work for his people it's got nothing to do with the three of us individually as people it's got to do everything with being obedient to do the job he asks us to do for him that's part of what it means to dwell in him matthew 5 19 through 20 this is yeshua talking please pay attention to what we're going to go on here therefore whoever nullifies one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever keeps and teaches them he should be called great in the kingdom of heaven for i say to you that unless you are righteousness far surpasses that of the scribes and pharisees you will not enter the kingdom of heaven we just saw that righteousness are the commands of god obeying the commands of yahweh now we're told that jesus came to fulfill the law so why does he immediately after that passage tell us to keep the commandments and teach others to do the same if he was telling us that i'm going to fulfill it and the law is going to be gone this passage here is confusion and yet he is emphatic about it we've misunderstood it's what it should tell us so let's return to paul it's because the fulfillment of the law didn't actually happen until the cross that's what they would tell me but he didn't fulfill everything all he did was fulfill the one requirement of the law that was necessary for him to die well that that's true too yes but you know that's, that's the explanation they, we're given doesn't work when you read the whole of the word of Yahweh. Right. Yeah, because there's still things that have to be fulfilled. But yep. And there's things about the law he couldn't fulfill because he was not a Gentile, he was not a Levite, he was not a female. There, there are many aspects of this. Yeah. He wasn't married. So back to Paul. I told you you'd see this again. We're back in Romans 4 again. We're gonna read this a little differently. But to the one who does not work to make himself righteous, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, believes and trusts, and not belief like the demons, you know, even the demons believe. No, 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 this is trusting faith. You act on it. This is something you do in your life. His faith is credited as righteousness, obedience to God. What? This is the tree of life. I will trust God and obey him, and he'll do everything for me. He'll do it. I'm just going to do my best to obey. That's credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the person whom God credits righteousness apart from his works. Blessed are those who are lawless, who are sinful, who have sinful deeds. They've been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. Covered with what? The blood of the Messiah. Is this blessing that, see, this takes you out from under the curse of the tree of knowledge and put you back into the tree of life. The blood of the Messiah does that. Is this blessing then on the circumcised or the uncircumcised also? For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. In other words, is this blessing for the Jew or for the, just the Gentile as well? Well, it's credited to Abraham as righteousness. His faith was. How then was it credited? While he was a Gentile or after he had become a Hebrew? Not while a Gentile. I mean, not while a Hebrew, rather, but while a Gentile, uncircumcised. I'm, I'm substituting a few words here. So he's still a Gentile. 
and he receives the sign of circumcision as a seal of righteousness of his faith. He had while uncircumcised, while still, you know, a Gentile. Circumcision was the sign. It was the outward sign that he had done that. Circumcision is the result of his change of heart, of his conversion. So when Paul tells you, if you become a Christian, don't go get circumcised because that's the circumcision party. He's not telling you that you can't get circumcised. He's saying, don't do it as an act, thinking you must do that to be a believer or to be saved or to get into the kingdom. In other words, change your heart first, be righteous first before you get circumcised like Abraham did. But now Abraham took the circumcision after the fact out of obedience and love and, and you know that type of thing, but not to earn anything, not so he could boast. So if you get circumcised later on, that's there's not a problem with that. Paul never teaches you against that. That's not what he's saying. And notice here, this is this is a seal yes. of the righteous. So this is just a, a seal back then was basically put on letters or scrolls from the king or some authority, and they would use their signet ring to seal it so that they knew who it was coming from. Mm -hmm. And who you belong to. And who you belong to, right. So that's what this is about. It It's a seal to show your obedience. And that's exactly what baptism is too, Natasha. Yes, it's an thing. outward right. sign to show that you have right. chosen yes. Yahweh. You've crossed yes. over. Yes, both are the same. You've been born again. Yes. yes. And that's also what the what we're told the Sabbath is. The Sabbath is a seal that you are under the covenant of the Ten Commandments. So he says that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised. He can be the father of all who believed, even Gentiles, and that righteousness might be credited to them as well. And the father of, of circumcision to those who are not who are not only are of the circumcision. In other words, he's the father of the covenant to the native-born Hebrew, but also to the steps of the faith of our father Abraham, which he had while uncircumcised. So he's going to be the father of faith, both to the Hebrew and to the Gentile, which makes all of them Israel, spiritual Israel. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, the tree of life, not the tree of works, but the tree of life, the tree of grace. So now Romans 6, 12 through 20, let's look at this. Therefore, sin is not to reign in your mortal body so that you may obey its lusts. In other words, don't be disobedient to the law and do not go on presenting the parts of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. In other words, don't corrupt yourself. Don't be unclean. Sinning makes you unclean. Parts of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, of lawlessness. But present yourselves to God as those who are alive from the dead. You have been bought with a price. You are now spiritually alive. You're alive from the dead. You're born again. Your spirit is alive. It says, and your body parts as instruments of righteousness for God. In other words, your spirit is alive. Now your flesh should live righteously too. And the only way you're going to know what righteousness is, is if you do what he tells you to do. You have to obey the commandments and you do this by faith. Trust him that he'll take care of everything else. Even if you screw up, he'll fix it. It says, for sin shall not be master over you. Well, if you have no law, you don't know what sin is. You are not under the law, but under grace. You are not under the penalty of death. You're alive already. You've been bought with a price. You're not dead. You're alive from the dead. You're under grace. That's what grace is. You're under the tree of life now, not the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
tree of knowledge, good and evil. Sin enters the world. The price for sin is death. You're no longer under the curse, which what Charlie was said, blessings, tree of life, curse, tree of knowledge of good and evil. You're not under the curse. You're under grace. You're under the life. So what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? He says, far from it. Not even think, don't even think that. Do you not know that the one to whom you present yourselves as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the same one you obey? So are you going to present yourself to sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness? What did Paul just say? Obedience results in righteousness. So are you going to go back to the works of your own self? Are you going to stay obedient to the law, having faith in God to take care of the rest? Entirely. The finished work of the Messiah will take care of that, but you still have to be obedient to show that you're righteous. Thank you. Oh yeah. Yeah. And in, in, in understanding this from the Hebrew concept, talking about this as slaves, oh my gosh. <laughs> because if you, if you look to the Old Testament, a slave was usually an indentured servant. You know, mm -hmm. they would serve, you know, typically seven years. But if a slave loved his master, he could go to the, the post and have his ear awled, and then he would be his slave forever. And could eventually be adopted in. Yes. And this could become is, a real son. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they, they, they could actually end up having inheritance. But this is, this is what, you know, comes to mind when I'm reading this, because mm -hmm. that that gives a different look at this. Paul uses that same language later in some of his other letters. Yes. To be the slave and to be adopted in. And if you don't understand the Old Testament, you're not going to understand the new. Nope. Because this is in Paul's mind right here. Yes. And he says, so obedient from the heart, but thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient from the heart. The, the law has been put in your heart to that form of teaching to which you were entrusted to the law righteousness, the right law, not the law of the Pharisees, not the oral law, Yahweh's written word. And after being freed from sin, you're no longer under the curse. You became slaves to righteousness. So now you're back under the tree of life. You still must obey the law, but you're that's righteousness. You're under grace. I am speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented the parts of your body as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, sin begets sin, so now present your body parts as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. As you get better at obeying, you become more and more sanctified, which means you become more and more like the Messiah. You align to Yahweh's will. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in relation to righteousness. In other words, you weren't free from the law. You were free from caring about it. See, this is a case of you were free in regards to righteousness, in regard to the law. You were a slave to a sin. You did what you wanted to do. So the righteousness of God through the faith in Christ, Romans 8, 9 through 11. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, to God. If Christ is in you, the living body of Torah, the living Torah is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Oh, we're coming back to that in just a second. Marianne, hold on. I finally have your answer. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, 
he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And Charlie, that in verse 11, there's your Trinity. All right. Yep. We've got to come back to this one here. Though the body is dead because of sin, we're still sinners. The price of the law is death, but you're not under the curse of the law, meaning you are not going to be condemned. You're under grace, so you're going to be acquitted. Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. That's what that means, the spirit. In the Old Testament, when you died, this was before grace came. This was under the law. When you died, your spirit went back to Yahweh, and you went into the ground, and there were no dreams and no nothing. You ceased to be. I have always wondered, why can that be? And Paul says that to be absent the body is to be with the Lord. How do I justify those two things? Right here's the answer. When grace came, the spirit came alive. I'm now under the tree of life. So when Christ died and went into the ground, he goes down to Sheol, and he takes all of those who died in faith of God and his Messiah before the cross, everybody who died in the Old Testament in faith, still having faith, not because they thought they were earning their, 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 not because they thought they were earning their salvation, but because they just had faith in Yahweh to take care of everything. Those are the ransom. Those are the ones that, that come back with him. Remember when he said he was risen from the dead, he brought many booty bounty. He, he brought many souls with him. People were resurrected. They were seen in Jerusalem. Their bodies, they, they long since dead, walking around talking to people. That's in the scriptures. Your first resurrection is right there. I've always wondered about that too. There's the first resurrection. Born again. Your now spirit is now alive. You're born again. Your spirit is alive. You've accepted the Messiah. What's Paul say? You die the old man, raised anew in, in Christ, with Christ. It's your spirit that's alive. Your body still has to die. If all had been taken care of, then you wouldn't have to die anymore, but that's we're not there yet. Kingdom's here, but yet to come. But your spirit, your spirit is alive. We are in the spiritual kingdom. We're already priests. We're already reigning with him. All of this lines up right there, and Paul's telling us that right there. Yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. Righteousness is the tree of life. That's grace through faith. You still have to obey, but this is righteousness. All of this lines. This, 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 Charlie, do you see any contradiction in any of this anywhere? No, I don't. It answers a lot of other questions, though, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The this, pieces start just falling into place as soon as we free ourselves from the teachings and traditions of man and listen to the scriptures. Yeah. Okay. Let's keep going with this. Romans 9, 30 through 32. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness? but the righteousness that is by faith. In other words, Gentiles who do not pursue the law of God can still obtain righteousness through their faith. What? Yeah. Having never heard the gospel, you could possibly still end up being in the kingdom because you trust in, you just have to have the right image of God in your head. Not a, not a demon, not a fake false God, but the right one true God. It says, however, Israel Pursuing a law of righteousness did not arrive at that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as though they could by works. 
Israel tried to earn their way. They stumbled over the stumbling stone, just as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and the one who believes in him will not be put to shame. Believes and trusts. This is the Messiah, the stumbling stone. But who is Messiah? He is the Torah, the teaching. Well, they tried to earn their way through the Torah. That was not the way you're supposed to do it. They went with the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and it didn't get them anywhere. Messiah comes and puts you under the tree of life, which is grace, through your faith, but you still have to live righteously, or he says you won't make it into the kingdom. What is righteousness? Righteousness is obeying the commandments of Yahweh. Why do you do this? Because they, in the pursuit of it by faith, thought they could do it by works. Messiah teaches you to do it just out of the love of your heart because you want to, knowing that it won't earn you a thing. You do it as a response, as a love response. They thought they were, the, the, the Israel thought they were earning something. They thought it was due them just because they were the children of Abraham. No, they thought it was a guaranteed inheritance. No. It can even be given to the Gentiles. This is Isaiah, this is where this comes from, Isaiah 28, 16. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says, Behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for the foundation firmly placed. The one who believes in it will not be disturbed. Matthew 21, verses 43 through 44. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people producing its fruit. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and one whomever it falls, it will crush him. This is the Messiah. I can give the kingdom to whoever the Father wants. Now, still in Romans 10, verses 2 through 4. It says, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What? For not knowing about God's righteousness, they didn't care about the law. They were seeking to establish their own righteousness. Tower of Babel. We'll make a name for ourselves, a shem for ourselves. The, the Jews will earn our way to salvation. The rabbis say that they have the authority to take control of the word of Yahweh. And yes, a lot of the rabbis write that. This is why the oral laws in, the, in Orthodox Judaism, the oral law is over the written law. Problem with that is that's a heresy. That's apostasy. That's doing it your way. That's the works. That's what gets you in trouble. So they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God, to the commandments and obedience to God. For Christ is the end of the law, the goal, the purpose of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. The purpose of the law is to teach you, you cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot perfect your, in other words, you can't be a good progressive. Man cannot perfect man. This is what it's supposed to teach us. Righteousness to everyone who believes and trusts. Well, you say you believe? Well, that's good. So do the angels and the demons. I mean, the you know, the demons and the devils. No, 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 no. That's not the right type of believe. This is true Hebrew mindset believe. This is trust. This is the way you walk in his teachings. That's counted as righteousness. I have faith that if I do what he tells me to do, everything's going to be all right. That righteousness. And that's what the law is supposed to teach us to do. You can't do it. 
Let him take care of it. And now Hebrews. We're done with Paul for the moment. Hebrews 5, verses 12 through 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, he's talking to Hebrews, to what we would think of as Jews, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. Oh my gosh. He is talking to people who think we're, we're okay because we have the law of Moses. He says, though by this time you ought to be teaching, teaching the Gentiles coming into this faith, you have need again of someone to teach you the very elemental principles of the Torah. Do you have any idea of how big of an insult that is to the audience of this letter? He says, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. Your infants, your spiritual infants. Why? For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. In other words, if you're a baby believer, you do not understand the role of God's commandments in your faith yet, or the relationship between works and grace. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Distinguish between good and evil? Isn't that right back where we started this teaching? Only in the beginning, knowledge of good and evil led to death. Now it's part of life. The question now is, do you see the relationship between grace and the law or Torah? Paul, whoever wrote Hebrews, it's either Paul or probably Barnabas, in my opinion. It says, because of practice. Practice what? Practice keeping the law. Their senses have been trained to be discerning, to be discerning between good and evil. You can't do that without the law. In other words, the mature in the faith have been undergoing sanctification. And those who have borne more, mo the most fruit, doesn't matter about your physical age, the more mature in your faith are those who have wholeheartedly sold out to the teachings of Scripture. I trust Yahweh to handle all of this. The Messiah's got it done. I just have to obey the king's rules and trust in him to take care of everything else that I can't do. I can't do. There's, there's no sense in me trying to do anything. I can't. There's nothing I do is worth of it. Anything I do is, is just filthy rags, menstrual rags. Everything is the father and the son. But I still need to follow his word. I have to trust his understanding, not mine. And his understanding says, keep his Torah. So if I keep his Torah, everything's going to be okay. I'm not earning a thing. That's the relationship, folks. That's the relationship. So back to those Hebrew idioms I was telling you about eating it up. John 6, 54 through 58. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Who is he? He's the living word of God. It says, for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. Just as the living father sent me and I live because of the father, the one who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down out of heaven. Not as the fathers ate and died, the one who eats this bread will live forever. In other words, if you will embrace his teachings and his understandings, you'll live forever. You will move from the dead tree of knowledge of good and evil, the dead tree of works, to the living tree of grace through his blood and his bread, his flesh. He's the living word. That's the bread of life, the word of life. John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You have to live in his teaching, in his word. Must. He's the living Torah. Must obey. 
Now, remember what it tells us shortly after this in John 6. The people said, oh, this teaching's too hard, and they fell away. That should be scary to us. But a lot of us don't pay attention to that. You have to embrace his teachings. Matthew 4.4. 4. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of Yahweh. They're actually quoting Deuteronomy. Jesus here is quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. Quoting himself. You will live off of the word of Yahweh. He's the living word. He's the bread that brings life. He is the t teaching word, all word, every word. of He's Torah. He's Torah made flesh. He's That's the bread. Do you all see it? There's the connection right there. Life comes from embracing him, eating his word, eating it up, making it part of you, living it. On 6, 52 through 58. Part I told you about. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, they're dull. They don't understand what he's saying. He's speaking in a metaphor. They think he's being literal. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. You can't earn life. You can't perfect yourself. You can't make yourself as God. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. The one who aligns himself with the will of the Father. I will raise him up on the last day. That's physical resurrection. Paul's already told you, you have spiritual life. This is the physical life. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. The one who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. The one who embraces my words makes it his life. I'm in him and he's in me. That's the living, that's the living law in the heart. This is the new covenant. This is grace, the tree of life. Just as the living father sent me, I live because of the father. The one who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. The one who eats this bread will live forever. And now this, I never knew you. Those are the ones who would not eat of his bread. Matthew 7, 20 through 23. So then, you will know them by their fruits. If you abide in him, you bear much fruit. If you don't abide in him, it's your fruit, your, your actions and works, not his and the Father's working through you. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So just because you call him Lord, that's not good enough. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. That's an act. As our Greek mind thinks, that's action. That's a work. That's not how the Hebrew mind thinks. The Hebrew mind is that the one who lives according to the will of the Father, the one whose entire life is in the word. He says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Satan's people don't do this. This is folks who call themselves Christians or Jews. And he goes, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you, leave me, you who practice lawlessness, who practice sin. Well, how do I know who practices sin if the law has been done away? You don't. You can't. Paul says so. So those who have not eaten of his flesh and drank of his blood and dwell in him and remain in him, those are the ones that he's going to kick out because he never knew them. 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And how do we determine, determine what is sin? Through the law. So if the law is done away, how are we to avoid living lawlessly? How do we know how to live righteously? 
Revelation 22, 10 through 12. Final message. And he said to me, do not seal up the word of this prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy. And let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness. If the law is done away, why is Jesus telling John to let people practice the law? And he says, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy, set apart, clean. Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to reward each one as his works deserves. If your work is to choose him and trust the Father and grace, if your free will is to choose the tree of life, then that's your reward. If your free will is to think you can earn your way into heaven, that's not going to be a happy day. Not for you. We've covered all of this. This is in the scriptures. If we let scripture testify for itself on its own accord, and I have been very selective with what I brought you today. There's more. There is a lot more to this that supports what I'm telling you. This is why I have to accept it. This this fits with everything I understand about the scriptures. This fits. Which brings us to this. The Torah remains. It is God's wrath that has been done away. And even then, only for those who trust and abide in him and his son. I took believe out of that because even the demons believe. And they even tremble. But they don't trust or obey. To abide in him, you have to obey. You get nowhere for it. This is like earning. You you obey just because. You didn't earn anything in your household growing up with your parents. You obeyed them because they're mom and dad. It didn't earn you a thing in that house. This is the way to look at it with the father. You obey his laws just because he's dad, spiritual father. Therefore, the question for those of us under the new covenant is not whether or not the law, the Torah remains, but what parts of the Torah still apply and how best to live them in our current time and culture. That's where we're at. And that's what we're going to be dealing with for the next couple of Fridays. And then the last one I had for you here is number 624. Yahweh bless you and keep you. This is the teaching I have for you today. This is where I'm currently at in my understanding of this issue of grace versus works. And it all came from that one little question that Clay Tolar asked me about the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And I chased that rabbit for weeks. And every time I thought I had that little rabbit, he scooted off and I found more and more little fireflies in the scriptures. And they all just started falling into place. Right into the picture. I have it now. I got it. I understand. Just trust the Father. And do your best to read the scriptures and figure out what teaching he gives you that you need to be keeping today. The Holy Spirit's never going to tell you, no, you don't have to keep that law. He might tell you that one doesn't apply to you. He'll never tell you the law is done away with because Jesus said it wasn't. 
Jesus, Yeshua has not been done away. Messiah has not been done away. Messiah is the living embodiment of the Lord, of the Torah. He said so. John says so. The scriptures say so. So that's what he is. He's, he's all of the Bible made into a fleshly man. In some way, shape, or form, that's, that's Yahweh. He came to fulfill the law. Yeah, he met the requirements of the law. He redeemed us. He died in our place. The law requires this. So he met that, but he didn't meet the requirements of the whole law. He can't. I know we're taught that, but he can't. It's not possible. He's not female. He's not Gentile. He's not a Levite. There's a whole bunch of things he can't do. It's not because, you know, he's God. He can't do it. No, it's because he chooses to abide by his own laws. So he's not going to break his own law. Therefore, he wouldn't be God. But you know what? To say, well, you're limiting God by saying he can't do these. No, he can still work his will his way, the way he chooses to do it, law-abiding. And the reason he's law-abiding is because he is an Elohim, a God of laws, and he wants us to imitate him, to be lawful. Well, how can you be lawful, righteous, if there's no law to guide you? You can't. So this idea that you're free from the law and the Holy Spirit will guide you in everything, that passage we were reading in Romans, it's it's the who raised Jesus from the dead? Do you know your scriptures? How well do you know your scriptures? Charlie, pop yourself on here real quick. Do you know who the scripture says raised Jesus from the dead? Uh, well, uh, I know that <clears throat> there's places where it says the Father did, but there's also places where it said the Son did. And? And it may even be the Spirit. I, it says I all three. See, yeah. That passage in Romans says the Spirit, the, by the power of him who raised him, the Holy yeah, Spirit. Yeah, yeah, the Spirit. So all three raised him from the dead. Yep. Well, first of all, there's the Trinity talking, but the point of this is, if the Spirit of God lives in you, is it the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Yahweh? Yes. Yes, exactly. So if all three are living in you, that's the law. And if the law is living in you, won't you obey it? Hope so. Yeah. Not because you're trying to earn anything, but because you have brought your mind into the, in alignment with what, what did Paul say? So I agree. He didn't say God made me agree. He said, I have come to agree with the law. He brought himself into how that happened through the power of the Holy Spirit because he was born again. His spirit is alive. He's under the tree of life. Yeah, I had a uh, little firefly light up just a little bit ago because, you know, we, we're, we're looking at the uh, Torah and everything, and you, you were saying that Yahweh is a, <clears throat> a God of laws and, and such. You know, it extends beyond just what we see is the Torah because it extends throughout this entire universe. Everything that Yahweh created is subject to laws. Yes. So he established laws for everything. I mean, the earth, the sun, the orbits, the, and they obey him and they obey <clears throat> and they obey him. Yeah. And, and so getting ready for this show, I ran across everything. Yes. Just trying, I'm not trying to be rude to you, Charlie. I'm trying to help you save your voice a little bit here and Thank you. piggyback on for you. But in getting ready for this class, I found several passages where it talks, it personifies the creation, mm, but yes. the creation obeys and enforces the law as well. Uh, right. Natural law right there, folks. If you're not going to obey, his creation will take care of you. Yeah, there's many places where it says the earth will do, you know, I mean, Yeshua, when the, the Pharisees were saying, you know, hey, tell your disciples to stop, you know, praising you and stuff. And he said, if I did that, the rocks would cry out. Yes. And it also, what happens when we are 
disobedient to a point where we defile the land, mm-hmm. the yeah. land revolts. It does. Yes. And it says so in the scripture. The land itself will revolt. It has a personification, and this is not because God is in the in the universe, and it's not because the universe is alive with God. It's because the universe is obeying His law. Yep. So all of this is in your scriptures, folks. Yep. The earth was even baptized. Hmm. So, okay. Let me let Charlie off the hook here, and I'll get us out of here today. Hopefully, this teaching has blessed you. Is where I'm at at the moment. Um. Do with it what you will, but please, by all means, test it. And remember, you have an assignment. Go to your homework assignment, theroadtoconcord.com. Look up today's show notes. Read the one on why is there such a problem with grace and works. Read that Read that post. I think it's one, two, three, four, fourth or fifth link down. Read it for your own blessings. Because, man, the, whoever wrote that is a kickoff in football. They took it on their own goal line. They got the ball on their own goal line, and they ran 99 and a half yards and fumbled that sucker right on the half-yard line. How do they understand all of that and can't make it the rest of the way to where we got today? I, I don't understand. Um, the teachings of men are powerful, and they pervade the church, Jew and Christian alike. Um, if you rely on the rule book and you let the rule book speak for itself, as long as you read it, as an Old Testament believer, understander, understanding, Old Testament understanding, the New Testament falls right in line. And in, in the New Testament's easier to understand. If you do not understand the Old, you cannot track with Paul, not correctly. So please study, be a good Baryan. Tell you what you do, prove me wrong. Not one verse at a time. Trace the whole concept from Genesis to Revelation. Use a concept in Scripture to prove me wrong. I'd like you to do that. Be one of the biggest blessings you can do for me, because if you go that hard to prove me wrong, tracing concepts, not, not individual verses or words, concepts, boy, are you going to get a good study in your Scriptures, and when we're all said and done, we'll be brothers and we'll be drinking the same drink, because I know where you're going to come down at. You have to. You don't have a choice. It's in the Scriptures. We love each and every one of you. We thank you for being here. If you like what we're doing, please hit the thumbs up or the rumble. That talks to Charlie and Natasha and myself, lets us know we're doing a good job personally. Um, If you share the show with somebody, please give them a little warning. We're not kidding when we tell you about me. We we know that I'm, how does Leonard put it in the Big Bang Theory, quirky? We know, we know. But it's about the message and the teachings. That's what's important. And then if you do send somebody here, send it directly. Because if you just share it on social media, they're likely not to see it. That's being throttled. Like Rumble is under cyber attack right now. Has been for the last couple of days. Somebody's trying to bring Rumble down. That's part of why they're having trouble. And it's mostly dealing with the live feed. The, the replay should be available with no problems. Um, it's an attack on truth. Anybody who's for free speech is going to come under attack now. So share it directly with them. And then ask them to give us a little time. Because this show builds on itself. Like today, if you, this is the first one of my teachings you've ever encountered, you probably are convinced I'm a heretic. But if you'd been with us in the getting to this point, you'd be like, oh crap, that makes sense. That's because you have to get out of your Greek thinking, start thinking like a Hebrew. And once you start thinking like a Hebrew and you start understanding more of your Old Testament, this stuff just, it's right there. It's been there the whole time, you know, it's scales off my eyes now. So anyhow, 
Tomorrow's Thursday. Conspiracy Theory Thursday. I got no idea other than the fact that we're going to start the show with a little fun with the AI. <laughs> and where we go from there, I don't know, but I am thinking about bringing you some conspiracy thinking, dealing with that movie everybody was talking about yesterday, the Netflix show, and a World Economic Forum video that came out before that. So, and hopefully, if if Gummy Bear is feeling well enough, we'll be on donuts. There'll be donuts, and then Friday we're going to pick up where we left off here, and left last last Friday too. The the battle between the Christian Church and the Hebrew Roots movement. You know the the, the law, not the law, the law, not the law, the law, not the law. And both sides are going. Go read Paul. Go read Paul. Exactly. Go read Paul. Both of you. So that's where we're going to be for the rest of the week. We love each and every one of y'all. Take care. Stay safe. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.